welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. I do want to acknowledge uh, at the beginning of this message that um, the subject matter today that 1 Corinthians has taken us to is the area of sex and sexuality. And so um, if we have any kids here, I do want to make mention of that. We don't have children's church at the 6 o'clock service. I also want to acknowledge that um, what we want to say and what we want to communicate, uh, we want to do with tact and with wisdom. And so uh, we'll, we believe this is a safe place to talk about this. But it's not as if we are talking about something the culture is not. And so uh, I do just want to acknowledge that uh, so that you would not be surprised. Really, we've come to this subject matter because in the book of 1 Corinthians, we've really said that the overarching theme of the book has been love. And Paul will go into more detail with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But if you look in that book and if you look in the majority of the Bible and the way the philosophers talk, whether it was John Edwards or C.S. Lewis, the Christian thought is that love really goes into three buckets. These three buckets can be understood as reciprocal love, meaning I love you and I'm wanting love back from you. Or it can be benevolent love, and that is when you love someone that is lowly or hurting, someone in need of compassion. And thirdly, we radical love. That would be loving an enemy, loving someone who is not giving you anything back, someone who is undeserving of love, many would say. And if you are a person who radically loves God and radically loves people, therefore you extend yourself out to anyone who would want to know God, that you don't have any boundaries there, but you are willing and able because you've been equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to love. Much of what we've lost in our culture today is the heartbeat behind the real depth of love. And that was what this church had lost. The book of 1 Corinthians is, in essence, a letter to a church who had gotten out of alignment with this imagery of being loving, radically loving. And the season we are in uh, is not just beginning to be fall, but the young folks would call it cuffing season, praise God. And if you were to try to figure out where romance goes in this, it would be under reciprocal love, meaning that I would want someone to love me back and be deeply connected to me and know me. And what's interesting about romantic love is that when the Bible talks about romantic love, loving a wife, or a wife loving a husband, it uses the same Greek word that it does for loving an enemy. It's agape love. And it means that it was a love that has intimacy and endurance simultaneously. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, in the context of talking about love, it says it bears, meaning love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It goes the distance. And the end of that, Paul would say, love never fails. And so God's intention is that romantic love would be enduring, and yet our problem as a culture is that 
the power of romance, the electricity of romance, the tenacity of how romance and affection and infatuation gets into our minds. It feels so good that we can begin to believe that romance is all we need. And that if I just had a romantic relationship, it would feel, it would fill all the other voids in my life. If I just had romance. And the culture that we are in today is much like the culture that the Corinthian church was operating in. If you were to go into Corinth, you would be in the region of an area called Achaia. So in many ways, like New York City, we are essentially a region and you have different boroughs and Corinth would be like a borough of Achaia. And where you had Corinth Corinth was like a port city, so people would pull their boats up into the city. And so it was a great place for commerce. It was a great place for merchants to be able to sell and trade. And so a lot of people uh, who were in business would come to Corinth because it was a port city in Achaia. And if you were to come into Corinth, you would see a mountain. And the mountain was actually called Acherinth. And this mountain was 1,900 feet high. Now, you got to think that the One World Trade Center is 1,700 feet high. So the minute you walk into this city, there's this huge mountain. And on top of the mountain was the temple to Aphrodite. If you hear the word Aphrodite, it's where we get the idea of aphrodisiac. People would go up this mountain just to see Aphrodite. And worship of Aphrodite would happen through temple priestesses who were prostitutes. And men would find themselves coming in the port to do business. And then after work was done, they would go to worship. And that was the culture that they were in. It was a sexual city. So sexual that if they called you a Corinthian or if you've been Corinthianized, it means you were a sexually perverse person. Sex and sexuality were all a part of the community there. And what has happened or what had happened in Corinth is what's happened today. Is that sex was the first thing that you see. Sex is so inundated around you. Sex is the very thing that often defines a person's life, whether they have value in a relationship. And so just like in Corinth, sex went from being sacred to being casual. In that culture and in ours, so much so that if you're 26 and if you haven't had sex, people are asking you deep questions. Like you haven't had sex, are you alive? Are you a person? I mean, are you experiencing life and joy? You haven't had sex. You need to have sex. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's just like you're strange because there is a cultural pressure everywhere and it's something we've seen for so long. And so when you think about sex and you think about sexuality, there are essentially several ways that you can experience it. One, you can just have casual sex. You meet at a bar or you meet online and you just say, hey, you look good. I look good. Let's look good together. Praise God. And so you guys decide to have sex. And, so some, and then you could be friends with benefits, whatever you want to call it, but you have a sexual relationship with this person or 
So you can have casual sex or you can be casually committed. You know, we've been together for a month, two months, three weeks, a year. It's time. It's showtime. We've been just holding off. It's time to just do it. We, I know, I know, I know. We've been waiting and now it's time. Now, we're not married. We know we're not married. You don't, don't trip. But we are going to have a sexual relationship. So you can have casual sex or casually committed sex or you can have cyber sex. And the cyber world is filled with dynamic ways where you can experience sex. You can be in a room by yourself, seeing images everywhere, or you could have all different types of ways where you're at least experiencing the power and the electricity of sex. And all of these forms of this intimate environment, what they are doing are they are disconnecting sexual intimacy from enduring sacrificial love. And when you disconnect enduring sacrificial love from sexual intimacy, you get sexual novelty. Now the concept of sexual novelty is in this, this idea that you need constant newness and change. This is particularly in the area of pornography. In an Australian study, they studied these men. Don't ask me how they did the study, praise God, but I know the study happened. They did this study, and in the study, what they found was if you were engaging in pornography, there, over about a 20-minute span, you found yourself, you had to keep switching images, switching videos. You had to see new, and there was an energy to newness, and now... You are driven by novelty, by uniqueness, and you can fetishize anything you want to see. And our culture today, because you don't have to go up a mountain or your grandfather had to go into 7-Eleven and ask for a magazine, but now you can have private worship. You can be by yourself. And no one has to know. And it's really unfair. It's an unfair fight that you can see all these images. And yet what it's creating in you is not just something that you're desiring as in your will, but there is actually a chemical inside of you that is pressing on your mind and your heart, dopamine, just shooting up in your mind. And that's why it can become addictive where you say, man, I don't want to do this anymore, but you find yourself clicking, clicking, an hour goes by, and some people can spend whole days constantly looking at images. And it is, it is pervasive in the culture. And just with a word on that, that means that someone who is 15 has probably seen more bodies than his grandfather ever could. And so now images are all in our mind. And what's the, the, the greatest consequence of, of what porn is doing in our culture is that it's taking away the, the reality of real sex. I don't think I'm dropping wisdom at this point. Real sex is not like fake sex. Hallelujah. I mean, it's just different. Real sex is courting, touching, being touched, the smell pheromones, meaning that when you, when you like somebody, you actually give off a scent. There's a, when you feel a vibe in the room, there's actually a scent that your body gives off. Emotional connection and interaction, spontaneity. 
That's what a real interactive relationship is. And one that isn't is segmented and fetishized and it's everything you want, exactly how you want it. And so what that's doing, uh, one author, a book called The Demise of Guys talks about how men are having a harder time communicating with women based off the fact that they've been fetishized for so long. That they're not used to spontaneity because they've got it how they want it when they want it. And for many women that engage in pornography, for them, it is harder to just want a man who is not, I mean, amazing and all these other things because their minds have been inundated with so many great looking images. And so in many ways, our brains are hurting our ability to have a real relationship. One of the challenges that the researchers found is that it was hard to find people who did not have porn, uh, weren't watching porn in middle school and elementary, and they maybe started in college. They couldn't find anybody who didn't have a porn relationship by the time they became an adult. So they couldn't ask people, what was it like when you were young? Because they had been so formed and shaped by these images. And so what ends up happening is that the images that we see, not just in hardcore porn, but everywhere, even when you have a sexual innuendo, when someone closes the door behind the room, your mind begins to imagine that's what's supposed to happen. And this novelty, this need for more, this need for new, what it essentially means is that sexual novelty will lead us into infatuation. Infatuation, meaning that we will idolize, we will look up completely to, we will want overwhelmingly someone. And when you look at our music, really that's what you're hearing. You're not hearing like enduring romance, you're hearing infatuation. And you know this because for many people who make these great, amazing songs, if you look at their lives and the marriages that they could not keep, they really were talking about a concept that they could not complete in their own life. And infatuation is like, girl, your body and your mind and all and everything you're working with it and oh my gosh, and just bang, zip, pow, zow. <laughs> Explosive, amazing, just wow. But nobody's making music about endurance love, lasting love, because it would be boring, praise God. Because the, the, the amazing thing that happens in our marriage, my, we got out of debt, we're balancing checkbooks. It's like, girl, the way you balance that checkbook, ooh. Hey, I mean, what do you do? What do you do? Nobody's making music like that. It's not exciting. It's not like talking about your body parts and all this other stuff. And I'm, believe me, I'm not like this curmudgeon that's old. And I'm just telling you, I've been married 15 years. And I can tell you the movies and the music that we have those moments like air and now and then, praise the Lord. But we have a normal life. And we are, we are drowning ourselves in entertainment and taking ourselves away from reality. From the thing that we want and many of us are so connected to entertainment that we are disconnected. We are trying to get what we see, what we have felt, 
not realizing the people that are producing it are in the same condition as you. And so, so few people are experiencing lasting relationship. And we know this. We know this when we talk about relationships. We know that we have to idolize people who we've never met, who have relationships that we think are amazing. It's like, well, Will and Jada and Beyonce and Jay-Z, and oh, they had a situation, but they're back together. You know, everything's great. So we have to imagine a relationship that we've never really been close to for many of us. And what's the truth? The truth is, the way that God set it up is that relationships were supposed to be like a meal that had all different types of things in it. And sex was supposed to be seasoning just to spice it up, just to put a little flavor into it. But can you imagine handing somebody a plate of paprika? Be like, here, eat that. That's nice. Some salt and some pepper. No, seasoning adds flavor to something more. And we have, we have become mesmerized by the spices. And we have forgotten there's a whole meal. And that's what God has designed us for. And so what Paul did here, here in the text is he began to address some of the ways that they were experiencing the culture. And what Paul does initially is he begins to talk about, minister to them where they are, And he begins to talk about the slogans that they are hearing. Because just like us, there were certain slogans in your mind. If I were to tell you, do you, that's not the first time you've heard it. If you've heard, live your truth, that's not the first time you've heard it. Help me out with this. This is call and response. Live your best what? Right. You only live? Right. So what we're hearing in the culture is if you feel it and you want it, it's yours. Do what you feel. And just as I was able to ask you what the ending was, Paul was able to look at these slogans in their culture. Here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, everything is permissible. And he could have looked out in the crowd and said, and they would have said, for me. Because they knew this slogan. And Paul, if you were to look there, there are quotations around where it says, everything is permissible for me. And then Paul interjects and says, but not everything is beneficial. Paul quotes again, everything is permissible for, and they would say me. And he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. What Paul is looking at is he says, I understand what you're hearing in the culture and I know the way that you're kind of being raised and I know the way the culture is working in your mind, but just understand this. Yes, of course you can do what you want. Of course you have freedoms to do whatever you want. No one is controlling you and God doesn't necessarily control your life. But you have to ask, is this desire I have met with a righteous opportunity. In other words, is it the right thing to do? Is doing what I want all that God has intended or does God have a perspective higher than mine? Has God given us his word so that we could live a life as he has intended? Desire plus opportunity is not the best thing for you. 
rather a desire plus an, a righteous opportunity. That is the best thing for me based upon the creator God. All food is not good for you. You know this. We, we all want to be vegans. I'm a, I'm a meat-eating vegan, praise God. I, I'm kind of going through a little something right now. Processed food we know is bad, but we also know it tastes good. What is good to you is not always good for you. And what Paul is saying is, I know you can do whatever you want, but I just want you to know not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. And he says, I will not be mastered by anything. Realize this, that with freedom comes consequence. And the consequence oftentimes is the very thing you thought you had freedom ends up being the very thing you don't have anymore, a master. Because when you can't say no, when you've got to keep clicking, when you've got to keep dragging, when you've got to keep moving on to another look and another feel, when you say no, we're not going to be physically intimate, we're not going to have sex anymore, but you find yourself having to make it pretty much a, a, a basic aspect of your relationship. You, we've got to do it now. It's part of who we are. You can't say no. And Paul says, I won't have a master outside of my master, Jesus. But rather, I would want to live according to him. Now, I do want to say this. I realize that I'm talking about areas that are not as simple as, oh, I'm just going to stop. But for many of us, these are strongholds that were built out over time. And so on October 4th, we're going to have a, what we call Freedom Night. And we're going to come here to the church, and we're just going to have a time of worship, and I'm going to have a word about strongholds and deliverance, and I really believe you ought to come out to that night, invite a friend to that night, and so that we might lay our burdens down to the Lord, and we can speak specifically into those different areas. After this message, we're going to talk about uh, marriage, and then the message after that, we're going to talk about contentment, all right, and, and then we're going to have our worship night, and I really believe that between marriage uh, really sex in marriage, contentment and, and sex outside of marriage, those are three areas that are strongholds in our culture that we just can't speak to, that we really need to lay down and we need to ask a special blessing on those areas. So we ask that you come out to October 4th, our worship night, our freedom night rather, here. But porn addiction is crushing people. And this idea of sexual novelty that is just... Yeah, I slept with about three, five, seven, eight, one, two, many people before I was married. That has just become novelty. It's part of our culture. It's the nomenclature, meaning we just, it's something we talk about. And yet it's not what God had intended. Paul would go on and Paul will say, here's another slogan said in the culture, verse 13, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. When you first read that, food is for the stomach, stomach for food, why are we talking about food now, right? But Paul was actually, you know, in, in, in every culture, there's sometimes a hidden meaning within a slogan. The hidden meaning with this actual slogan was, food is for the stomach and stomach is for food. And what he was saying is you've got an organ in your body called a stomach. And whenever that organ starts to rumble, you get hungry. God's giving you food, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you're hungry. I mean, God wouldn't want you to starve. I mean, God doesn't want you to be anorexic. I mean, God wants you to eat, right? He gave you a stomach for food. Food is for stomach, and the stomach is for food. What the underlying meaning was, God has given you other organs, and you're hungry, aren't you? I mean, you want it, don't you? I mean, I mean, you got desire. Brother got desires, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I want, you know, every now and then I get that feeling. Well, just like food, God wants you to eat, so why wouldn't he give you a body to consume, a person to be with? I mean, God doesn't want you to sexually starve. And so what Paul is getting at here is that the analogy, notice he doesn't just add an addendum. He says, essentially, no, the analogy doesn't fit. No, just because you have a hunger and a desire doesn't mean sex is what will meet that desire. He says, no, your body is for so much more. He says, however, the body is not for sexual immorality. Now, the word sexual immorality in the Greek is the word porneia. Uh, the, the King James Version would uh, translate this fornication. And when you say it, you got to say it with a deep southern accent, like, fornication, yeah, they're fornicating. So you have to say it like that. But... <laughs> Sexual immorality, right, fornication is not what God has intended, he says. No, the analogy doesn't fit. No, God has designed your body for something more than just pleasure and feeling. Even though I know you're hearing it everywhere, I know it's, you're drowning in it everywhere, I know it's kind of the pressure that you feel. You're 26 and come on now. I mean, it's time now. I mean, the guys you're talking to, the girls you're talking to, they expect it. Come on now. I know you feel the pressure and Paul says, yeah, but what if your body was meant for more? What if you were meant for more? And so I love what Paul does here. Paul doesn't try to scare them out of sex as I grew up in church and they try to scare you and intimidate you into loving God. What Paul does is he's very wise. In verse 16, he says, don't you know? Maybe there's something you don't know. Well, here's the first thing you've got to understand about sex outside of marriage. He says, Verse 16, don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute, remember that's what they were going to see, the temple priests, is anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? That there's a oneness happening? And then he quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He says, the two will become one flesh. That when a man and a woman get married, God's intention for them is that they would now be one. And when he says one, he's not just talking about sex because that's why he says, don't you know you're becoming one with that person? My wife, who I've been with now for 15 years in marriage, certainly sex is a part of our marriage. But part of our oneness, the, the majority of our oneness is through our communication, our conversation, our intimacy. That means that if it's not just our sexual body parts, that means her mind was meant for my mind. Her voice was meant for my ears. 
Her hand was meant for my hand. Our bodies were meant for one another. Sexuality doesn't define us. Sex doesn't define us. But we are holistic people. We are people. We're soulish. We have deep, we have depth inside of us. And all the depth with inside of you was intended for someone forever. And so what, what God set up, here's what God actually set up. This is, what, this is what God rigged it. God, what his ultimate intention was, was that two people would be virgins going into marriage. I know it's crazy. I know I said it was crazy. They would go, and they wouldn't know what they were doing. They'd be like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. They would just, they'd be, like, totally awkward, and they would just, like, figure it out, and they would, like, hide in the bathroom and be like, oh, my gosh, and they'd be, like, scared. Like, oh, I've never done this before. Me neither. I was like, oh. And they laughed the whole time. It's like, we got to figure this out. And what, what God had intended was, as you are getting to know my mind, you're getting to know my body. As we are sharing things, we're sharing our body. As we are committing to dealing with the past, the things you didn't know about, you're also dealing with all of my body. And so our bodies become one. And so that word in, in, in the Greek, it's, it, it has this connotation of permanency, of joining. Like if you were to get eggs and you have the yolk and you, you've got the, um, the white part and you scramble it together and it becomes one now. It's one thing, and God is saying, you guys are one. All of you are one. And this unity God has created was intended, always intended to be together. It was going to be a good thing to slowly go into a relationship and not pass any boundaries. It was going to be a good thing to be committed. But over time, many of us, because we long for romance, we tend to break the boundary that we started with. And at some point, the amount of intimacy in the relationship exceeds commitment. And so we're having sex, but I don't know if you're here for the long haul. And essentially what Paul is saying is the way God has intended it is that you would increase intimacy as commitment has already been increased. So that you would say, I do. And they say, I do. And y'all do. Hey, hallelujah. That's what God wanted. So here's what, here's, here's what, here's what I will encourage you with. Now, as I'm saying this, there might be somebody out there like, you are being repressive. You are trying to take away my joy. You're trying to just, you're not giving me everything I want. I want more. And I've been made for more. And I want, and ah, listen, do you. You know what I'm saying? I can't stop you. I can't control you. But here's, I've been doing this for 20 years. So here, I want to, this for you. This for you. All right? This for you. This is free. Um, you may decide we going to play house. And you can't stop me. I can't. And you may want to do everything that a marriage does but not get married. But just let me just encourage you. You may not call it a real marriage, but when y'all break up, it's going to feel like a real divorce. Because I've done this for 20 years. 
and you change your statuses, and y'all know each other, and it's like, no, we're, you, don't, you don't understand. We're different. I know, I know, but we're different. You know, and we just hear that. And they, I get all that, we're, we're different. And then generally it's the woman coming to me saying, he was different. He wasn't who I thought he was. And you can't help but bring that baggage into the next relationship. Because God did not design you to have intimacy sexually multiple times with multiple people. God has intended, he has designed sexual intimacy to be exclusive to one person. Now, that's the way he set it up. Now, I do want to encourage you that uh, going into marriage, I was not a virgin. And so I believe that God can redeem the time. I believe that God can buy back time, meaning God can put a, he can rewind the tape and he can bless the years that you feel like were stolen from you. But I want to encourage you that it begins with deciding in your mind that I want everything that God has for me, that I want to be everything that God has intended for me. And if I have to wait and wait and wait, I want to do it the way God has designed it because the regret is so heavy. Oh, man, the the doubt and the pain and the conviction. Why go through that? And yet, what Paul will say here in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, is flee sexual immorality. Run, he says. Get out of the relationship, he says. Don't go on the date if you feel like it's going to turn out to be something you don't want it to be. Run, go the other way. Delete the name. Don't don't put yourself in a position where you're going to do something you don't think you would want to do. Run. Flee. I don't want to leave them. Well, if they're willing to run to God too, then cool. God is not saying run from a person. He's saying run to him. Run to me. Run to me. So that you've been having all these broken cisterns and I am the only one that can satisfy you fully. And so he says run and again, what we, what we feel and hear is restriction. And so because Paul knows that people are hearing restriction, they're hearing that you don't want me to have a full life, that you don't want me to experience everything that I should have, what Paul says is, know this, every other sin a person commits is outside of the body but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. That's a very powerful statement that's either true or not true. What Paul is saying there is that greed and and, and thievery and and lying, he says those are really bad and they affect other people, yeah, but there's nothing like sexual sin. There's nothing like sexuality and sexual sin, the way it drags itself beyond you and past you and all around you, how it weighs on you. In my years of counseling, certainly I have sat with people who have been beat up, hit, even jumped. And I've had to work with them and walk with them through things. But that's nothing like dealing with somebody who's been raped. 
someone who's been touched at an early age. No, you can't tell me that sex is just a physical thing. No. Paul says, no, it's not just a physical thing. It's a soulish thing. It's a mental thing. It's an emotional thing. It's not like any other sin. It weighs on you. It follows you. It carries a weight. The consequences are different with sexual sin. And Paul says, I know you don't want to feel restricted, but just know that it's different. It's weighty. And more than anything else, it it causes us to lose what God has ultimately wanted. Sometimes hanging out with my kids, uh, we'll be watching National Geographic. And uh, sometimes on National Geographic, the the animals um, like each other, praise God. And and they they start to mate. And you're just like, oh, isn't Kim Possible or what, what is that show called? Let's watch that, okay? And, and you're just like, oh, man, you know, and you see the lions. You know, the li- lions don't care. Lions like, Wendy, what's up, girl? I'll be back. I'll be back. Tisha, what up, boo? <laughs> I'll be back at 2 o'clock. You know, the lion's just walking around doing his thing because animals, animals just mate. It's just a physical thing. It's not like the lioness is like, are you going to call me at two? You're not going to call me at two. You'd be lying on me. No, lions don't have the inner world that we have. A lion can literally shake it off. And we cannot. And we try. We try to just move on but it hangs with us. We are made, we have been made in the image and the beauty of God. We have been made to feel, and that's why you're trying to shave off the, I don't want to feel for them anymore. I don't want to think about them anymore. I don't want to talk to them anymore. God made you to feel. God made you to feel, and he made you to feel for someone so that when you were frustrated with them, they were only right around the corner in the next room, not in another state. Not answering, not, not answering your calls. Not ignoring you. He made you to feel. He made you to be like, we got to talk this over. He made you to feel like, well, I can't move on. He made you to feel like, we got to talk through this tonight. He made you to feel that way because sexual intimacy was always intended for enduring, sacrificial, permanent love. It was always made for that. And so what we've grown accustomed to it's things that we just have, we've just seen for so long that we think it's right and we, we try to talk to one another and we talk our way out of it. But the fish doesn't realize it's in water. It's always just been that way. And we don't realize how saturated we are in sexuality. It's, it's always been that way. And so <laughs> Paul knows that when he says flee from sexual immorality, the people are hearing restriction. You're wanting to restrict my life. You're saying flee fornication. And really, Paul, you're telling me don't go up to the, don't go up Acherinth. Don't go up that mountain. Don't go to the temple. That's what Paul's saying. Don't go to the temple. You know how Paul is. Paul's talking to, don't go to the temple. Can't go. You know, he's trying to change my life and restrict it. No more temple going. 
And we're going to start a movement where we talk about, if we see people buy the temple, we'll talk about them. No more temple going. And what Paul is saying here in verse 19 is this. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Paul's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying go, don't go to the temple. I'm saying you are a temple. I'm not saying, no, I'm not trying to restrict you. I'm trying to help you see who you are. I'm trying to see the beauty of what God has done, that Christ did not just die for your sin and enter into heaven. He went up to heaven, but he sent his Holy Spirit down to earth so that he might indwell you, empower you to live a dynamic and purposeful life, that you would do things that you never thought you would do and go places you never thought you would go, and that you would walk by the power of the Spirit, and you would now be empowered by the what my parents would call the Holy Ghost. And he would live inside of you. And he says, don't you, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You think I'm trying to restrict you. I'm trying to unleash you. I'm trying for you to be everything that God is, t- no, 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 I'm not saying don't go to the temple, don't. You are the temple. You are the lighthouse. You were made so that people who are wandering in the dark could find rest. You are the tree that people were meant to be able to feed off of. You are the sustenance of the community. You are made for so much more. And the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is inside of you to empower you. He says, maybe you don't realize that when you sleep with a prostitute, you are, in many ways, not just not living the life, but other, vers- other verses we talk about quenching the Spirit, quieting the Spirit. Shh. Conviction. Shh. I'm going to do my thing. Stop. I want to live my own life. And the Lord says, yeah, but I have more. Shh. I'm missing out. God, I'm missing out. And I have, I have fear of missing out. And, and I don't know if I, if I say no to this person, then they'll never be with me again. And if I'm old and not with anybody, I mean, what am I going to do? No, no, I have fear of missing out. The Lord's like, how could you miss out when I'm in? I'm inside of you. I live inside of you. And I'll never be comfortable being resident but not president. I'll never be comfortable with just hanging around watching this happen. Now, don't get me wrong, I love you. And I'm gonna stay committed to you. And I'll watch this foolishness all the way to heaven. But I just want you to know, you're missing out. And I know the culture has told you one thing. But I'm here to tell you another that there's so much more that you are meant to be. And so Paul says, You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. I love the fact that Paul here doesn't go into detail with talking about, and Jesus died for you, and he bled, and he he was, he he said, to tell us die, it is paid for. No, he says, a price. He doesn't actually talk about the price that was paid. And maybe Paul put, you were bought with a price, and doesn't say the price, 
Because he wanted us to investigate and know, well, what, what did it cost for me to know Jesus? What did it cost for me to know God? What did it cost for me to have the Holy Spirit inside of me? What did it cost? <laughs> My kids, they always ask for gifts. We go to the store, they're like, can I get this? 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 One day, they're going to be 26, living in Brooklyn. And one of their friends is going to leave the light on you. like, can you turn that light off? Thank you. Are you, are you not using it? Are you using it? You're not using it. Okay. Are you cold? You're not cold? Okay, let's turn that AC off. Because everything changes when you know the price. When you know the price. And when you know the price... When you know how much has been paid, you have greater value. And Paul is saying, you were bought with a price. Do you know your value? As we sit here today, as you hear this message, I want you to hear my heart. Some of you are convicted. Some of you feel restricted. Some of you are, might have a bunch of things like, can I even say, can I say hi to him after church? I mean, I, oh, is it going to be weird now? No. No. Because we started this church to reach people where they are. And maybe this is just where you are. Maybe a relationship has a hold of you. Maybe the internet has a hold of you. That's where you are. And we want to reach you directly where you are. And we realize it will take time. But our prayer is that you would want to grow in your conviction. That even if you fall back into sin, you just say, God, I know there's more for me. And that your conviction would grow. And your conviction of the things of God will grow as your connection with God grows. And if you have a weak connection, you will have weak conviction. And my prayer is that you would just keep pursuing God. I did it again. I left that service and I said, I'll never click again. Keep pursuing him. I, I, I don't even know the status of our relationship. I don't know. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep pursuing God because you are not simply fleeing sexual immorality, you are running to God. Keep running to God, no matter what, no matter how many times you fail, keep running to God. No matter how disgusted you may be seeing yourself or how foolish you may think you are, God will not run out of grace. He will not run from you. He loves you and his love is deeper than you could imagine. But there could be a, a quiet soul here saying, I'm not convinced. I heard you, Pastor, but I got, you know what I'm saying? That was a good word, but I don't know. Let me encourage you in the Lord. My daughter, Sophia, she's two. And we have a PlayStation at the house. Now, my eight-year-old and nine-year-old, they play some game. I don't know what it's called. Legend of Zelda. It could be. I call it Legend of Zelda. It is not Legend of Zelda. I would definitely play that with them. I don't know what game it is, 
but they're playing this game and they're eight and nine and just like, oh, ah, oh, and they've got their controllers. And so we give Sophia a controller. And so Sophia's like, oh, and they're like, oh, and they're like, oh. But that controller don't work. <laughs> she, she thinks because she's in this environment that it's just amazing. But the, the reason why she's not having the same experience is because it has no power. And at the end of the day, what God has set up, what God has set up is a relationship with power. See, my daughter thinks she's playing, but she's only playing herself. She actually thinks she's playing. And she's having a good time. Don't get me wrong. She's having a good time. It's amazing. And she's excited. And it feels great. She's having a good time. But it's just not ultimately what God intended. You see, what God intended was for two people to get together and say, I do. You say, I do. We do. And now we're together. And we're having sex. And we're having frustrations. And we're angry. And then we get older. And it's been 10 years. And it's been 15 years. And we don't look the same. And now my pants have changed. And your pants have changed. And we don't look the same. And oh, man, I'm, not, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to cut back carbs. You're trying to cut back gluten. And we don't look the same. You know, but, but our bodies is not how you caught me. You see, because if you catch him with your body, you got to keep him with your body. But the reality is, is that we decided, I want you. I want all of you. And what God has intended is for you to be old. And you've got a little limp now. And you're walking to your kid's graduation. And you get in the car, after the graduation, y'all look at each other and be like, can't believe we did it. I can't believe it. And then you go home and you get into a big argument about something stupid. And then after that, you add some spice and have some sex. Praise God. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. We can do nothing without you. And I pray, God, you can redeem the time. I pray no one would walk away only hearing restriction, but I pray they would hear a, a deeper, a higher identity. God, you have so much for us. Holy Spirit, would you unleash our people to be everything you've called them to be? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just do dynamic things amongst us, that we would walk closer to you, that we'd run closer to you. Help us to move closer to you tonight, God. In Jesus' name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.